Welcome to the Talking Recruitment Podcast from the REC. Every week we look at all the latest insights, perspectives and experiences from across our diverse recruitment industry. Hello everyone and welcome along to another episode of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. My name's Neil Carberry, the REC Chief Executive. Real pleasure to have you listening in today. We've got a great topic that we're going to be picking up on, but before we do that, uh, let me just run you through a few highlights you might want to be aware of from your REC over the uh, past few weeks. Most obviously, our media profile has been really high around the government's proposals to abolish Regulation 7 of the conduct regs for the supply of agency workers. Now, that's something that the REC has always uh, supported the retention of. And it's something where we've done quite a lot of work to make the position of the industry clear in consultation with members over the past few weeks, including a letter from some of the largest members Uh, of the REC, which appeared on the front page of the Financial Times on the 30th of June. We've had a series of meetings with government about this, and it's pretty clear that this is a political decision aimed at the the, uh, unions rather than uh, something, uh, rather than something which can, uh, uh, which had bubbled up from a policy discussion inside the government. Therefore, if the government goes for it, it will be because they want to uh, they want to push something to push back at the trade unions rather than the details of this actually making any difference. And members have told us they don't think it makes much of a difference because agency temps won't want to cross picket lines because of the risks to agency temps. Something which uh, of doing so, which actually was picked up by the ministers in their letter back to me when I wrote to them about it. And of course, uh, the issue that inserting a different company's workers into a dispute is likely to inflame rather than resolve a strike. So we've taken a strong view in line with long-standing international and national uh, views expressed by uh, by members of the REC and businesses globally in the agency sector. We've made our position clear. If the government goes ahead, we'll have to think about how we react to that. Uh, but it's, I'd like to say thank you to all of the members who've supported us with that campaign over the past few weeks. Now, away from uh, the politics of strikes, there's so much going on at the REC at the moment. Do look out on the 8th of July for our June billings data. That's the report on jobs. Really interesting because we may just be at that inflection point where the very strong market that we've had for the first half of the year is just starting to slow and reflect the fact that the economy itself has slowed a bit. Of course, candidate shortages do mean that uh, that the impact of a slowdown might be slightly less on the industry but, uh, than before. But clearly, uh, the real story in terms of a- attracting candidates, both for your own business uh, as recruiters, but also uh, for your clients, is about how you can attract and retain them. One of the things we've done to help with that for uh, for the recruitment workforce is a new range of guides with the Involvement and Participation Association about staff engagement. The first one of those went live just the other week well worth a look on the REC website. Also thinking about uh, celebrating success in that first half of the year that's been very, very strong. The REC Awards coming up in November, a fantastic night last year, really the highlight of uh, of my working year. And I know lots of members who joined us amongst the 500 strong crowd at the Lancaster in, in London. The deadline for entries for this year's awards is the 17th of July. So do get those in. I can promise you we'll have another rip roaring night. And if you're thinking more about 
uh, the uh, uh, the question of where the economy is going and what you can do in your business, do check out the content from uh, from, from REC Live 22, which was held on the 30th of June. If you signed up, you can access that content for a couple of weeks after uh, after the 30th of June. But if you didn't sign up, there's more content coming available to members online over the next few weeks. So do look out for that on the on the REC uh, website. But more than that, if we're facing some change, what we're doing to do is when we're thinking about how we're changing our business, a really important thing is just to think about, well, what can I do as a leader? And I'm delighted to say that we're bringing Greg Savage back to uh, the UK at the end of August to focus in on that for a session in person in London. So do look at the REC website and book on for that. Greg's always a real push for change in terms of what you can do with your own business at a time like this. So as I said at the top of the show, lots going on. But uh, let's delay uh, talking to our guest no more. Uh, today's guest is a longtime uh, a friend and colleague of the REC, many years at the FCSA, uh, now working with a company called iWork, Julia Kermode. Julia, welcome to the REC pod. Hi, Neil. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really pleased to be here. So let's start. Many people who have had anything to do with uh, the industry and industry events over the past decade or more will know you and your SCSA guys. Tell us a bit about iWork and what iWork is all about. Sure. So um, I left FCSA a couple of years ago um, and it was in the midst of the coronavirus um, nightmare from a temporary staffing perspective because your members and FCSA members were hugely conscious that um, the agency workers, temporary workers and self-employed people were all kind of missing from the government's um, support packages. And so I kind of took a look around and I thought, well, you know, no one's really advocating for agency workers in particular and and I thought well hang on a minute I want to have it have a go at kind of doing that because agency workers I think are at risk of exploitation depending on whether they are with a good agency or a less good agency and obviously REC members are, are the good guys um, but but yeah uh, so that that's kind of what iWork does. Um, we look after agency workers, um, uh, zero hour workers, gig workers, that, that anyone who's working but not in permanent employment falls into my remit. Um, and I'm also non-executive director at a, a company called PAYE Pass, which which is something we might come on to a bit later when we're, when we're talking, but um, they basically do a forensic financial check of umbrella company processes. Um, and they, they persuaded me to join their board to keep an eye on what they're doing. So yeah, lots to keep me busy at the moment, Neil. Fantastic. Well, let's, I, I, I think that point about making sure we look after workers came through loud and clear from our conference in terms of, mm-hmm. um, yeah, Tim Cook brought it out in, in his session when he was talking about the importance of seeing, as agencies, seeing our two client groups, uh, you know, business clients who we're trying who we're trying to fill roles for, and making sure we're looking after the candidates because, of course, uh, what we want is repeat business from both of them, repeat business from clients, and repeat business from uh, from candidates looking for roles. Now, I want to start with that kind of picture in the umbrella sector Mm. Um, because you know one of the things that we've been 
pushing very hard with REC members this year is getting proper due diligence done uh, if you are working with an umbrella company and uh, and through your supply chain, not just because of some of the kind of more heinous things we've seen that amount to fraud like spoofing, mm-hmm. but actually in terms of just making sure you're confident in the practice, uh, particularly around areas like holiday pay. Yeah. What's your um, your take on all of that from a candidate perspective? Yeah, so um, I I was really pleased actually at the conference yesterday um, as we're recording it um, it, that there was so much around candidates actually and nurturing them because it is so important and I think that, that, you know, right at this moment in time candidate is king or queen um so so if you're not nurturing your workers then then you should be um sorry i don't mean to tell tell you <laughs> the rec audience what to do um hopefully it's it's obvious and, and people are doing that anyway but the point around holiday pay is that there has been some bad press recently in relation to umbrella companies who haven't been paying workers the the holiday that has been accrued. Um, and there's been some discussion on the legalities of of the holiday pay accruing in the first place and whether that is that is lawful or or not. Um, and the legal detail. I think we won't necessarily go into this afternoon. I can talk us through it if, if we want to, but um, but for the sanity of listeners, let's uh, <laughs> let's let them um, uh, talk to someone more qualified. Um, but basically, it's not clear, and some umbrellas um, have within their contracts a use it or lose it policy Um, and these are the contracts that they have with their workers so if the workers are not claiming their umbrella um, their holiday pay within a certain deadline then that umbrella is contractually able to retain that holiday and not pay it out you know at at a future date if they've missed that deadline so that's that's kind of the sort of thing that's been going on um and because it's in the contract, then the argument is, well, the workers know about it because they've signed up to it. Now, I don't think this stacks up. I don't think the legal arguments saying that holiday pay is unclear stack up either. We haven't had these legal arguments presented before. Um, I think they are, some of them, in my opinion, are excuses because there's been this bad press and people are making excuses for it. Now, I think that anyone who is working for an umbrella or an agency should be getting their holiday. And I think that agencies should be working with their, with their umbrellas to make sure that that is happening. And we know, <laughs> we, we know, we know we're all entitled to holiday. Um, whether you're a temporary worker or a permanent employee, you're entitled to 5.6 weeks um, a year. Um, and we have to find a way of, of making sure that people get it. And it's really not that big a deal and it's not an not an opportunity to profit because basically my view is that the recruitment agency clients are paying for the holiday in the rate therefore that has to be passed on to the worker if it's not passed on to the worker i cannot see any excuse for it other than profiteering again just my opinion um obviously not mentioning any companies whatsoever um but but that's 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 the bad practice that I'm seeing. The other thing that we're seeing is that workers don't always know that they're entitled to it. So yes, it might be in the contract, but who reads 
every detail of contracts anyway. Now, I know obviously we should, particularly when you're signing up something akin to an employment contract, um, you should read all those details, but life is not like that. So I also think that there's a duty on the umbrella um, or agency uh, to make it clear to the workers that, that they are accruing holiday. It should be in the key information documents that people should be receiving. So that is one touch point that should already be in place because that's a legal requirement um, now and has been for some time. So, so really, whoever is payrolling the worker should be reminding them that they've got this accrued holiday that they need to be paid for um, and that those reminders should be coming out on a regular basis and I cannot see any reason why workers should not be receiving their holiday. So you know I have tons of sympathy with that that's why there's a holiday pay calculator on the REC website and it's why we spent a lot of time earlier in this year uh, talking to members about the importance of doing your due diligence yeah. and really um, looking into the processes of any payroll partners you're uh, you're working with, because yeah. the the truth is, if something reputationally damaging happens to uh, to a uh, to a business, you're not going to get away with saying, "Oh, it was this umbrella partner? Aren't they terrible?" If you haven't done your due dil- your due diligence, mm. and it's why I always encourage members to to look at the holiday pay calculator to look at the advice that our standards team give on uh on uh conducting due diligence uh checks and to make sure that uh, you know, where possible to use the rec's model contracts mm. um let's just dig into the risks and opportunities here okay. um it how could this affect a recruitment business in terms of uh what could go wrong, but also uh, not just immediately. There's some potential here that you could store up future liabilities over a number of months and years, isn't there? Yeah, there is. So there was a recent case um, with Pimlico Plumbers, um, which basically one of the things that came through from that case, and it's not law yet, it is. it only applies to this case, is that because um, Pimlico Plumbers didn't remind um, the workers that the holiday was due, um, that they then, um, the, the case decided that that it, it accrues throughout the whole the whole period of, of employment. So that's, that's a big liability because this particular case goes back um, years. And I'm sure that there is um, a, a resource on the REC website that will explain it much better than, <laughs> than, than I'm doing at the moment. But there is that potential um, for back paid holiday um, to be a liability that's accruing and if if an umbrella ends up with a huge bill from this for from a group action for example and I know that there are group actions underway against some companies out there if that's sufficient to cause that umbrella to to go under then the natural next stage for for kind of getting that money um will be further up the supply chain um so there is that potential liability there um and 
of course, there's the reputational damage. And as you said, right at the very start, um, there is the the kind of ongoing business um, <laughs> issues. So, so you know, the reputational damage to, to the company, to with their clients, but also with those workers who, who ultimately have been exploited. Well, they're not necessarily going to see it as maybe the umbrella that's done wrong to them. They might associate that with the agency as well and might not have repeat business opportunity for that agency either. And, and clearly clients are also getting progressively more um, interested in this. You know, I, I think certainly there are plenty of clients who uh, who are not in that space. We've seen uh, one of the most common calls to the REC legal helpline is how do I deal with a client who's a... a uh, attitude to the status assessment for R35 is, can't you do this for me? Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, the, to which the answer is always no. Um, but the, the, there's something here about um, it can feel like this is a cost of compliance. Yeah. And the long term losses likely outweigh the. Uh, the short-term costs of getting things right, and then you know, essentially, I'm sort of slightly preaching to the choir talking to REC members because <laughs> that's that's why the REC standards regime is the way it is. It's why we take stands like we have on on Regulation Seven. But in terms, but I want to link this also back to the the voice and activation of agency workers mm. because certainly I think the nature of uh, the campaigning space and the brand uh, visibility that agency that agencies can have if someone raises a campaign is is quite significant for positive or for negative. What's the role of iWork in in raising some of these challenges? How do you see iWork playing out? Well, um, that campaigning arm is very much um, what what I see happening, um, and we're actually about to start a social media campaign to to try and get people to be aware of their hol- their their right to paid holiday. Um, and you know, it would be brilliant if any agencies listening that do do the right thing, and of course any umbrellas listening that that also do the right thing, if they wanted to get involved in in the campaign, then give me a shout because I'm actually looking to promote good practice as well as make people aware that that they that they should be entitled to paid holiday and you know it's there's some kind of hashtags that I haven't quite got finalized I'm agonizing over it which is ridiculous but uh, (laughs) but anyway um and so so yeah what I want is is a hashtag like do you get yours um and then and then then yes Yes, I do get mine. Um, and agencies that are giving the, the holiday, if they have a hashtag as well to respond to, um, that that would be fantastic. Um, so, yeah, you know, I I think things have been slightly negative publicity wise in relation to the umbrella sector recently. Um, but we have to remember it's it's a small proportion of of umbrella companies. The vast majority do do things properly. Um, same as agencies, you know, there, there's always people who want to have a pop at, at, at kind of different um, different sectors. Um, and, you know, the more we can do to, to promote the good stuff and support the workers, the better. And the other thing that you kind of mentioned earlier was the um, Reg 7 changes in relation to um, potentially providing cover. Now, agency workers that I've spoken to um, 
are so pleased at the stance being taken because actually people need money, right? But they don't necessarily want to go into these situations of conflict. And I can well see that 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 people may have no real option because they, they need money. We're all in kind of economic um, interesting times, let's say. Um, and and so actually much better to not even have, have it as an option um, for all the reasons you say, but just from that worker's particular perspective, um, it's not necessarily a good change at all. Well, something here about power dynamics, isn't there? It's all very well to say this system works and people have freedom to, to operate in it. Um, but actually, the point of con- uh, 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 of a focus on standards and, and the right regulation is to ensure that people don't end up being forced by the power dynamic to do things they might not want to do. So mm-hmm. that's true of agency workers. Frankly, it's also true of agencies who do not want to be in a position of being forced by clients to do things that don't, that don't yeah. feel right. You, you've picked up on the position of agency workers here um, really clearly and Mm. I think there's something here about candidate experience isn't there because every recruiter I talk to says Neil we are struggling to get enough people and to a certain extent there is a bit of a warm bodies problem in the British labour market right now there's 600,000 to a million fewer people in it Um, that's not to say that there aren't sources of candidates you know unemployment isn't uh, the same in all demographics and regions of the country. Yeah. There are opportunities out there, especially if clients get their offer right. And we're doing a lot of talking to clients about how they they change their offer. Um, certainly members are. But some of this is also about the experience of candidates and in particular, how we manage their their expectations and the realities. Because it's very easy yeah. to say the ONS data saying wages are going up at 10%. 9-10% and well I want 9-10% but of course they're not going up 9-10% consistently in every sector in every region so how do we how do we manage that kind of that that quite difficult position currently yeah. it, and it is it is difficult and you know um, I, I kind of look at what's going on I think oh sometimes I think oh, I'm glad I'm not not a not a recruiter actually because it's <laughs> such hard work and you've, you've got to please your clients and your candidates and I think um, I, I think what's happening at the moment is as we say the candidates are king or queen at the moment and are being quite demanding um, in some instances but also what's interesting is candidates will usually complain um, that they're not getting feedback that that kind of they're being ghosted by by recruiters um, whether that's agencies or in-house recruiters um, and and actually what we're now seeing is a U-turn um, and candidates actually ghosting recruiters after a job offer has been made. I've seen quite a few of those kind of instances um, uh, on social media. Um, but the whole the whole thing of looking after candidates is it's often not actually rocket science. So it, it is stuff about get back to get getting back to them. That is the most common complaint I ever hear is that is that they don't get the feedback or, or they never never hear back. Now I know that from the recruitment agency perspective, sometimes you're waiting for feedback from the clients. So you might not have anything to say. But 
keep those candidates warm and and keep uh, and let them know okay I haven't got any feedback for you yet I'm still waiting but but you know and stuff like that makes such a difference to people and you know being it being available um so far as possible um is 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 really helpful because there's nothing worse from a candidate's perspective if they're looking to change jobs it's obviously a big deal um and and to feel kind of left out in the cold that and that no one is nurturing them or supporting them um can can be very difficult for them and you know what trying to balance all this in in the in the crazy world that we're in at the moment of trying to find the business and and trying to find the candidates quite apart from nurturing them once you've got them is really really tough really tough market at the moment but um but yeah i always think do do as much as you can um and you know these little details just make all the difference yeah i mean rule number one from even when i was back uh, as a consultant back in the in the 90s is if you're not hearing anything from a candidate uh, go and talk to them because silence is usually a problem. There, yeah. there, there's and there's there's really something there in terms of, you know, it's quite a kind of, it, it's quite quite a lighthearted phrase. But I've always felt that uh, candidate care is client care. Yeah. In uh, as much as you are the ambassador, rather as you know. Um, umbrella company due diligence matters because essentially you're uh, as an agency you're outsourcing some of your employment relations with the agency tent to the umbrella uh, the same is true here the client has outsourced a lot of their uh, representation to you as uh, uh, as a as an agency yeah. and therefore you, you know being their ambassador staying close and and putting the effort in is really important comes right back to the theme of our conference around the, the professional skill sets that consultants need are, are are much more about handling those value-added conversations with clients and candidates, uh, which yeah. we just keep coming back to. Part of this, though, is also selling temporary work, isn't it? You know, I, I like to say the the industry uh, places a million people into new permanent jobs every year and puts a million temps on site every day. It's a great entry into any discussion and kind of just getting people thinking about the 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 scale of it i, I rolled it out for a, a, a meeting just this morning with a member of the labor treasury team um but some of that is uh, is also about establishing just how important temps are to the british labor market which we've seen in the nhs we're seeing in the nhs right now we're seeing logistics and driving um yeah i'm really interested in what you're doing because it feels to me like it is important to champion temporary work and temporary workers isn't it yeah, it, I think it's massively important. Um, and, you know, I, when when you stop and think about it, temporary workers are in all industries at all levels um, in, in the in the economy. So I, I talk of them as being the backbone of, of the economy. And I also one of my other favourite phrases is an unseen army of unsung heroes. And, you know, it's it's so true. And it, it kind of sounds a bit grand, but if we cast our minds back, you know, to the peak of the pandemic, when when we were all in lockdown, and you know, life actually was pretty scary. Now, who did we rely on? We relied on people, you know, getting jobs in supermarkets um, to keep the shops, um, to keep the shelves, you know, full. The the people, you know, who who were working in hospitality, maybe then going to work in factories. Um, we had, you know, lots of people getting jobs as couriers. Um, 
to deliver all our online shopping and all these kind of jobs that that people didn't necessarily want to do in a long term basis, but their their permanent work sort of fell away from them or, or their careers or, or whatever. Um, and so they were doing this stuff to keep the economy going. And I'm not saying it was solely down to down to temporary workers, but actually, I think a lot of those roles were potentially temporary. Um, and I think we've got a lot to thank them, <laughs> thank them for, you know. Um, and I think I think our memories are, are quite short sometimes when it when it comes to this, because if it hadn't been for people doing those jobs, you know, someone had to do them. Um, and if and if if they hadn't done them, then it would have been even worse for for many of us. Um, so that really illustrated for me the importance of of temporary workers and and the whole labor market because it was it was kind of a, a big a big movement to to keep the country going um and and i suppose that's where this whole unseen army of unsung heroes comes from i also think that some temporary workers sometimes are guilty of thinking i'm just a whatever it is. And I think, no, 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 you're not just a anything. You are an important part of, you know, something much bigger. There's there's the famous example of um, the cleaner at, at um, Kennedy Space Centre. And John F. Kennedy was like, uh, went up to them to say, oh, hi, what are you doing? And the cleaner didn't say he was there to clean. He said, no, I'm helping to put a man on the moon because he wasn't just a cleaner. He was part of that bigger mission. And I think that I think that is what I see when I think of temporary workers. And I, I think that the more we can empower this army to see themselves in that way, I think the better. But, you know. I, I could not agree more with that. And actually, it brings us back round to, to the discussion at the top of the podcast, because, you know, one of the things that our work with the IPA on engaging the recruitment workforce leads on is you've got to sell a vision. You've got to sell a vision for the contribution people are making. Mm-hmm. And I and I do think standing up for temps really matters, you know, and it will help agencies. It will help our um our brand it will but it also help us win some arguments like the long-term argument we're having about getting access to apprenticeship levy funded training for agency workers yeah. we, uh, agency work advocacy really matters uh julia if people want to find a bit out a bit more about i work and and the campaigning that that you'll be doing in representation for uh, flexible workers where should they be looking yeah, I'm really easy to find um, on LinkedIn. Um, if you wanted to hook up there, um, just search Julia Kermode um, and, and I'll pop up. But also the website, um, which is iwork.co.uk. Um, also on Twitter, um, Facebook, I'm less good at, to be honest with you. A um, bit of a dinosaur. So, <laughs> so yeah, LinkedIn and the website. And you can sign up to, to a newsletter um, as well if you wanted to kind of get stuff from the worker's perspective. But I I know, I know. We all get lots of newsletters um, anyway, so so maybe maybe um, just check out the website and and see if it's covering topics that are of interest. Fantastic, Julia. Look, thank you for joining us on Talking uh, Recruitment today. That's been a really interesting insight, and I'll be looking forward to watching how the movement develops as you as you launch your campaign. I think there's certainly something there that that 
all of us in the agency sector should welcome because you know celebrating agency work from the worker point of view is also celebrating the sector that we all work so hard to uh, to maintain so thank you ever so much uh for uh, for joining us today you're very welcome thank you for having me and thank you for joining us on today's episode of talking recruitment it's been a real pleasure uh, to have you listen in on this update and chat with Julia about uh, what we, uh, what she's doing. If you've enjoyed this episode, why not check out uh, our previous episode, episode 11, which was about a sustainability strategy for recruitment, but also a flavour of how you finance for growth, uh, given those two things are often uh, closely linked. And if you uh, delve a bit deeper uh, through the back catalogue, uh, Katrina Collier on episode six this year is uh, really good on recruitment as a human business. And we touched on some of those themes with Julia just now. Thank you ever so much for listening to this episode of Talking Recruitment. I'll see you soon on another one when we catch up with all the latest in our fantastic recruitment and staffing industry. Speak soon. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Join me for another episode soon and check out our back catalogue at rec.uk.com to catch up on some other fantastic discussions that are really helpful for recruiters. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify, so subscribe to REC Podcasts to never miss an episode.